Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery and all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce and I'm so happy that you're here. I'm so excited because my website is live, jade-bryce.com. I poured my heart and soul into this website and I would love for you to check it out. There are ways to work with me on there. You can sign up for my newsletter, Pleasure Ponderings. I also have a free masterclass on healing the father wound that you can sign up for. And I also have my three-month women's program for healing your sexuality. Also, if you're a first-time listener to the show and you stumbled upon it because of our amazing guest today, I would love for you to hit subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And it would mean so much to me if you could also leave a review. Reviews do wonders for a podcast like mine to get guests on the show. All right, about today's guest. She is the founder of the Tantric Institute of Integrated Sexuality and an expert in everything sex. She is a visionary rebel who teaches about sexuality, relationships, and self-love to hundreds of thousands of people across the globe. Her devoted study of Tantra for 18 plus years, along with her sexuality studies at Stanford University, have informed her unique teaching process that combines mystical practices with the most up-to-date scientific approaches to healing trauma and transforming the nervous system. With the information, tools, and practices she offers, you'll discover how to experience exquisite sex, shameless self-love, and incredible depths of intimacy in your relationships. Her programs have taught over 10,000 people her Vita method of using breath, sound, movement, meditation, and energy awareness to awaken their sexuality and reclaim their power and worthiness. She shared her work with over 120 million people through her YouTube channel and has a weekly email audience of 375,000 people. I don't know that any woman has been more of a teacher in my life than this woman. Discovering her was a pivotal moment for me. I remember the first time I came across her work. I listened to her on another podcast. And by the end of the podcast, I was weeping because of how resonant her message was. I knew that I would never be the same after hearing it. I knew that it was what I was called to do, that it was my dharma, and I could not live the same now that I had known it. It was a no turning back moment. There was this shit, this is it feeling. And I knew my life was never going to be the same again. And it wasn't. (laughs) Within a month, I was signed up for her year long 650 hour training to be a love, sex and relationship coach. And if you're interested in that yourself, I'll share my ambassador link in the show notes and at the end of the show. The program was much more than a training or a certification though. The entire program was the most rapid transformation I had ever experienced in my life. Who I was before the program is gone. I can't even tell you the quantum leaps that I've experienced in her program. But if you want to listen to my solo cast about the seven day retreat that happened six months into the program, you'll get a taste of it. I think that's about two months back, maybe. 
Her transmission and her wisdom is just unsayable, and I can't vouch for her or her programs enough, but you're about to hear from her yourself. And it's been my greatest honor to have sat at her feet and received from her this past year. I'm just as honored to have her here today to share with all of you. Please help me welcome Layla Martin to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hello. So I shared with the listeners already about how transformative the VITA program was for me. More than anything else, it was an activation into my own truth. And I have never been more clear on what that is. I'm so thankful for the fast track pass that you've held and that you've paved the way for thousands. I mean, who knows how many more priestesses for all of the younger generations to come. I'm just so thankful that you said yes to the call. And when I came to the program, I knew that life would never be the same and that there was no turning back. Like I felt this, like, as soon as I paid, I felt like, shit, this is it. So hand to heart, just thank you for creating Vita and, and for just saying yes to the call. I know it's a, it's a huge calling. So oh, thank and you. And you're really on the front lines. So <laughs> so I'd love for you to share your definition of Tantra the way you explain it is I had experienced it a little bit in my 20s like just random dates I would experience it with a guy and be like wow but the way you described it was like at the first time I heard you say it was like ah that's my dharma so I'd love for you to to share it with the listeners Yeah. So one of the reasons why it can be so hard to describe in words is because it's like meditation or yoga, right? Like if you ask someone to describe meditation in words, if you're a deep meditator, it's like, it's kind of indescribable, right? Mm -hmm. Like unless you do it and experience it, the flavor of it is hard to translate. And the same with like true yoga, right? Like you could tell someone what an asana is. You could tell them about like flow states. You could tell them about like consciousness of the body. I didn't quite capture what you know yoga to be, right? In those deep moments in the mat by yourself. So I will do my absolute best. Mm -hmm. So please know that until you taste it yourself, like no words can completely suffice. So the state of... Tantra to me is experiencing living consciousness in and through everything. So Mm -hmm. it is a state of devotion. It's a state of unity. It's a state of being in intimate and loveness with all of reality. And we could understand it as a little bit different than some of, uh, kind of religious or spiritual thinking that to be spiritual is to be separate from this world, right? To be spiritual is to be, to transcend my body, to not have sex or to, you know, step out of the messiness of what sex can be, um, to fast, to pray, to be in stillness. Like we kind of associate most spiritual states with a removal of the messiness of like, is how we think of it, of being human. Right. Mm-hmm. And the difference in, uh, in Tantra is to be so intimate with absolutely everything as an act of devotion, like mm-hmm. as an act of oneness, as an act of in loveness with all that is. And in the especially left-handed tantric traditions, 
Tantra is about falling, like one being falling in love with itself. So it's like you're, you're participating in that act by being in love with all that is, which is to be intimate with it, to be connected with it, to be in service of it in some way, shape or form. And what that actually feels like is this like devotional, resonant, ecstatic union with like literally everything that is, it's a flow state. It's a, it's like a, it's like a, it's an in loveness with all that is, it's a romance with reality and that's crazy because reality is so much. It's so diverse. There's it's everything, but it's so good. Yeah. Uh, the word devotion, I salivate at it. Yeah. yeah. So, and it's, I know we both come from religious, uh, religious backgrounds. And so I want to get into that a little bit too, about, about how you do find consciousness and God and everything. But first, how can we, with what you just described, so what does it mean to have a tantric approach then to love, sex, and relationships? Yes. So a tantric approach to sex, right, is that we tend to see sex in our conditioning in a couple of different ways, right? Like we either see it as like super utilitarian, right? And that can come a little bit from the Judeo-Christian religions of like procreate, like, mm-hmm. like you know, or do it to in within monogamous marriage. And that's pretty much it, right? We can also tend to see sex in modern culture as very kind of benefiting our egos, right? So like I have sex to prove that I'm lovable, that I'm attractive. Attractive. I have sex to prove that I'm worthy. I have sex as an exchange, right? Like I give you sex and you give me gifts or adoration or partnership or whatever it is. Like we tend to trade it as like a commodity and think of it as something that proves our worth, right? And we're so steeped in that. It can be hard to really imagine something different or experience something different. A tantric approach to sex is there's almost two ways to look at it. And one is the beauty just because, right? We've lost that a little bit like this, like the the beauty of having sex because we're all going to be dead one day. And it's one of the most incredible things you could be doing, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just this like luscious embrace of it just because. And part of the tantric path is actually learning to do things, not because you have a mind story that you're going to get something out of it because you never know, right? Like we think we know what we're going to get, but how Mm -hmm. many times have you been like, I'm going to sleep with that person. And you're like, whoa, that was the worst. That was the worst decision of my life. (laughs) And you're, or you're like, I'm going to sleep with that person. It's going to be terrible. And then like two months later, you're like, oh shit, I think I found my soulmate, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't, we think we have this mental certainty of what we're going to get out of life and out of experiences and out of things. And the truth is we can make an educated guess, but we never know. So in truth, the reason that we're doing anything is to experience ourselves, mm. to fall in love with ourselves. So what would it look like to make love just to experience yourself, just to experience your partner, to fall more in love with yourself, to fall more in love with your partner, right? Like, and to never know that you 
can get anything out of it, right? Like sometimes we're like, oh, I'm going to sleep with that person. It's going to make me feel so worthy. Like I've definitely had this in dating, right? Like, oh yeah, like this person wants me like, like all my childhood pain is just gone because like (laughs) this person finds me so sexy. Then two months later, they're dating someone else and you're like, oh, this person makes me feel so unworthy, right? So part of a tantric approach to sex is getting rid of doing something because our mind tells us that we can get something out of it and doing it instead to experience the beauty of ourselves and the beauty of the moment. Mm -hmm. That is part of it. The other part is taking sex as a potential spiritual practice, a portal. And what's usually helpful to explain to people is what's the difference between sitting and meditation, right? Mm -hmm. You're just sitting there and nothing's happening versus I'm meditating, but I'm still sitting there. It looks the same from the outside, but what's different on the inside or stretching Mm -hmm. the yoga, right? Mm -hmm. The difference is the intention and the tools that you're using can take you from just sitting in a chair to having a transcendent experience of oneness with God, right? Mm -hmm. Or meeting yourself in a very deep way. So sex is the same way. We can have just regular everyday sex, like we'd be sitting or stretching or sex can become a portal to meeting ourselves, a portal to enlightenment, a portal to self-realization, just like meditation and yoga. And so a tantric approach to sex is what is the intentionality and the tools that we can apply to sex to make it a portal to self-realization. Mm-hmm. And it's basically the same approach to relationship as well. What does relationship look like as a spiritual practice, which isn't usually what people think, because we tend to think of spirituality as being transcendent, being like this sort of moving away from life. Whereas a tantric approach to relationship is how do you get so intimate with yourself and another, that relationship is this art of truth and depth and honesty and all the flavors of the universe, right? What does relationship look like when you're no longer in this kind of old exchange that we used to have, which is like, I'll commit to you and you commit to me until death do us part. And we'll form an economic social bond that will hold space for, you know, making children and passing on wealth, right? Like, what does it look like when we move beyond the bargain of marriage into something much more spiritually aligned, which is about truth and connection and evolving together and also using relationship again as a portal for self-realization right you meet yourself in relationship like in no other experience you meet your patterns your conditioning that which holds you back in relationship like in no other experience so what does it look like for relationship to function as a liberatory tool where you remove some of your most deeply embedded conditioning in your nervous system and actually utilize the vehicle of your relationship for for truth for spiritual activation and different relationships function as different vehicles so it's not like a tantric relationship is better having a relationship that just functions to support you to move through this wild world right that's like an old school marriage of i protect you and you support me and we hold it together until death do us part. There's actually nothing wrong with that. It's a particular type of vehicle. So Mm -hmm. when you tune into 
what kind of relationship vehicle is true for me in this lifetime. There's a certain class of people that are like, it's actually tantric relationship. Like Mm -hmm. I want the vehicle of liberation. I want the vehicle of spiritual growth together. I want the vehicle of truth Mm -hmm. and, and the other types of relationships just wouldn't satisfy my soul. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not less than it's just when we believe that's the only type of relationship and we're meant for tantric relationships will actually feel unsatisfied in our beings. Yeah. Oh, so good. And just hearing you say that, I like tear up because it's like, oh, like that is, that is the vehicle I want. And then part of me is like, can you handle the speed of the car? <laughs> you know, it's like, I've never experienced it in partnership. And so there's this feel, you know, the, like the feeling of the unknown of like, well, what, what might happen? You know, um, I'm curious. I think, I think it was you that said, you know, we're talking about spirituality and this all becoming a spiritual path. I think you said that if you follow your spirituality long enough, it'll lead you to your sexuality. Um, why do you feel so many people are afraid? Like, cause even in, you could think that with religion and I know religion isn't always spiritual, but like, why do you feel that some people, even spiritual people are afraid of sexual expression? Mm. So we're afraid of sexual expression um, for many different reasons. So the first thing that's really important to know uh, is our history, especially um, it's, it's important to understand the history of Christianity and Judaism specifically, because that greatly impacted the beliefs about sexuality in Europe which then impacted the whole world through colonialism and the, you know, dominance of European culture globally um, for the last like few hundred years um, for better or worse. And so one thing to understand is that when um, Judaism and Christianity were developing in the Middle East, they were actually in conflict with goddess religions. So mm-hmm. um, the temples of Isis and uh, the temples of Kibeli, uh, there were all these beautiful uh, practitioners and priestesses of goddess religions, priests and priestesses. And the goddess religions typically, not always, but typically um, practiced uh, devotion and worship through things like dance, um, sexual practices, through um, an openness to erotic energy, through energy practices, through sound and music, and through feasting. So goddess religions were very much about a path to uh, devotion and a path to God through celebration of life, through um, uh, religious experiences that would have felt and looked like parties to us, but very, very conscious devotional parties. Then you had other traditions which started to develop that were very much about finding God through denial, right? Finding God through celibacy, finding God through um, not eating that much through, you know, temples that were very silent and still and full of prayer. And then a whole priest class that really mediated the connection to God. Instead of you going directly to it, they sort of told you how to get there. And so... What happened was in uh, the Judeo-Christian traditions, they literally felt that they were 
competing with the goddess traditions. So everything that people did that was to worship the goddess became demonic, bad, criticized uh, in the Bible and in the Torah. And so like dancing, sexual practices as a way to know God, right? Witchcraft, all of that, which is to work with the natural forces of the universe uh, in a way that's co-creative became bad, wrong, scary, demonic. And so the expression of our sexuality was controlled, not because it was necessarily bad in the Judeo-Christian tradition, but because it was what was allowed in the goddess traditions. And so in this battle, a lot of the things that people did to worship the goddess became terrifying. And like, you, you know, you could end up in hell basically, or a really bad place if you did those things. So we have a lot of, whether we were raised uh, in these traditions or not, we have a lot of cultural coding that says that full expression of our body, of our energy, and of our sexuality is dangerous, wrong, and bad. And we've coded that in our whole culture, right? And we've forgotten how deep that ran. Like meditation only became mainstream in the last 15 years. Yoga became mainstream in the last 20, 25 years. But before that, right, it was like unthinkable in the United States that you could have a full energy activation and awakening the way that we can now. You could orgasm your way to God. Like that was so taboo. Why? Because of this ancient battle of the patriarchal religions and the goddess religions. Mm -hmm. so there's this deep coding in our nervous system. Now, many of us never realized that that was ancient religious coding. Because what happened is if you want to control society, you don't want to come in and tell people how to think and how to believe. You don't want to come in and basically like kill the witches. It's messy. It's destructive. It's problematic. So what you do is you just teach people to be afraid of themselves. You teach women to hate their own bodies, to hate their pussies, and to be terrified of their own sexual power, then you don't have to go in and stop the witches anymore. They'll stop themselves. Mm -hmm. They'll learn to be so afraid of their own sexual power and their own erotic ecstasy and their own impact through being in sovereign reclamation and in connection to nature. And they'll teach their daughters to do the same. And then all of society will collectively agree to that so that if you were to step out of line, it would feel so dangerous because your life would be at risk. We are tribal communal animals. And so the idea that we would do something that would cause us to get kicked out of our tribe or killed or rejected is so deep inside of us that we will shut down almost anything in order to fit into that societal norm. So what happened is generation after generation after generation, we put so much control, repression, and fear into our bodies around our sexual expression that it became far more normal to have a repressed, shut down sexuality than to have a fully expressed one. And we became terrified of ourselves and our erotic power. What's happened today now is we're like, hey, have the best sex ever. Have all these orgasms, have so much fun. And people are like, that sounds great. But what the actual fuck? <laughs> because I go to have sex and thousands of years of coding telling me that it's terrifying, that I'll be burned at the stake, that something horrible will happen to me, that I'll end up in hell, that I'll be sex crazed and 
why, you know, and no one will accept me and all of that is actually coded into my body and nervous system. So instead of feeling the wild orgasmic states that are possible for every human, instead, I feel numbness and pain and shutdown, or I'm just acting my sexuality, right? And like, that's what happens with a lot of men, they just perform rather than feel and we go into this performance around sexuality and the idea that we could tap into our true sexuality is terrifying because now it's coded with like wrong bad burn in hell scary get rejected from your tribe unsafe so to actually express our fullness of sexuality we have to decode all of that conditioning about how unsafe it is because even though it's safe now and even though it's safe in the privacy of our own bedrooms we can't just tap into that safety. We have to rebuild it into our nervous systems. Yeah. Ugh. And it feels like it's also the same reason why we're so afraid to stare into each other's magnificence as well, or to like see women as an invitation to their greatness. I know for me, my biggest pain is with so many partners, I just wanted them to step into their power and there was a constant pushback. And so it feels like that's a pushback to seeing the woman as the goddess as well. So it goes into so many different, it like controls so many different areas of our lives, not just our sexuality. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, I love you bringing up this relationship to the masculine because what's, what's amazing to me in the bipolarity of this, and I've really been exploring this as I've, you know, been single for the first time in a long, long time. Um, as I date and I'm in relationships with, with different men and exploring what like true partnership will look like for me. Like I have learned a lot from Alison Armstrong and some of the polarity teachings and things like that to really listen to men and to understand mm -hmm. them with tremendous compassion. And my experience of a lot of the men out there is they are hurting yeah. and they're, they're struggling with worthiness. They're struggling with meaning. They're struggling with purpose, right? There's actually like this, like I've worked with women in my career for 15 years, but now that I'm really like, I've worked with men as well, but I've worked with women a lot more, especially in the last 10 years. And I'm really seeing how much the men are hurting and how much they respond to compassion and mm. openness, right? And the number one thing that men are telling me that they're like, I wish my girlfriend, my wife, my partner understood this was how to not project her pain onto me, not project the pain of her father, not project the pain of all men, not project all this. And it's challenging right now because as women, we're going through this cosmic awakening of like, oh my God, I did a, I shouldn't have been sexually harassed. I shouldn't have been treated that way. It's not cool to grow up in rape culture. Like, fuck that. Like I'm done. I'm done with this. Right. And I can't even imagine the feminine rage because it's hard enough right now. Can I, I can't even imagine 50, 60 years ago, what that would have felt like a hundred years ago, the amount of suppressed talent and beauty and magic inside of women that wasn't even allowed to see the light of day, right? So we're like healing from those thousands of years. And there is a kind of righteous, like, fuck you for taking the resources and the political and economic power. Like that is bullshit. Like, and you shape the whole world according to your tastes and desires, right? And like, what? Right. And even the story you tell of women, it's so limiting, you know, that our lives end at like used to be 20 and then it was 25 and then it was 30. And now it's like, oh my God, what? Life is amazing. Well into our nineties. Like that was, so, that was no, right. Or that like a woman's only attractive when she's like 
sweet and docile and like whatever. You're like, no, like the full magnificence of woman, right? We get to tell our own stories finally. So there's this like claiming of space and power and our seat at the table and the story. And what's wild is on one hand, right? Like men are actually unworthy and scared and they haven't been warriors and that's what they are. They don't often know what to fight for anymore. They're lost in this modern world. Their lives have changed in some ways more than ours have, right? Like we're still doing what we've kind of done for the past, you know, 100,000 years as women, but men, like they don't protect their tribe anymore. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're very, very lost from what I've seen in a lot of ways, not all of them, but a lot of them are lost around what it means to be a man. So on one hand, I've learned the art of like, listening to them, Mm. standing them, not being so hard on them, letting them be men, you know, and there's such a beautiful wisdom in that. And on another hand, there's so much programming in them that like they exactly what you're saying, they've lost the art of being able to initiate into their king Mm. in front of them. And most men that I see today that I deeply respect that I would call kings have devoted themselves to a queen Mm. and learned from her and learned from her heart and learned from her transmission and become more spiritual, more full of integrity, right? They've worked on their sexuality. They've worked on who they are. And through that devotion, they've actually birthed into their higher power. And I think a lot of men have forgotten that. And even in the polarity teachings, right? In the polarity world, it's like, men lead and men are the leaders and men do this and men are the initiators. And it's like, men absolutely are leaders. And I absolutely want men to feel in their power. But I feel like it's a deep misunderstanding that men lead in relationship. This is a deeply feminine domain of the heart of intimacy of connection. And the more that I see men devote themselves to a deep, like a high quality woman who loves them and sees them, but will be honest with them and reflect to them, the more I see them actually transform themselves into Kings. And so it's this mixed thing of like, for me doing all of my work, not to emasculate men, not to control them, to understand them very deeply and to still hold this pillar of like, there's a profound initiation available to you here. Should you be able to open yourself to devotion? It's no secret that shame-free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well-being. And accessible, expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women-powered resource for game-changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops her products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, doctor-approved materials and smart design principles, and they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. 
Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's uh, spelt A-E-R. It's called air. It's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation. It creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris. So you can go all the way right away. Guys, I have like eight to 10 orgasms almost every time I use it. I use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice. You will not be disappointed. They're also sending me a bunch of their other products. So I'll keep you updated. But as of right now, this one's my favorite and I highly recommend it. Go to dameproducts.com and use code Jade today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. So before your program, before uh, your, you know, just being aware of your work, in every ayahuasca ceremony, there was just all these visions of me worshiping the feminine and worshiping women. And it was just, and doing yoni worship, even though at the time I was like, does that exist? You know, until the retreat. <laughs> but then I, you know, through your program and through um, just really studying your work, all of a sudden it woke up in me. I don't, it's not just the feminine. I want to worship everybody and everything. And yeah, just the, the idea of worshiping men and letting them receive that feels really, really healing as a form of whatever that is. And another thing that woke up in me was I before, and maybe it was some polarity teachings, which at the, you know, sometimes they can show up in toxic ways, but there was this idea that like, yeah, the man had to lead and I needed to surrender. So if you weren't leading me, then you weren't showing up as a king. And through your work now, I like fully want to lead. Like I'm, I'm excited about that role. And so, yeah, thank you for flipping that script. And I'm also, you know, I'm remembering too, in the beginning of the Vita program, I think during the welcome initiation, you said that everything that happens in our lives during this program this year is an initiation. and it really fucking was. And I think it was in the spring that you coached me on my relationship at the time on our spiritual disconnect. And the relationship ended up having to end because he couldn't be okay with my spirituality, which is basically Tantra and that God is in all. And this new career path I had chosen as a love and sex coach. And this ending was a very, very hard initiation for me, especially as a, as a mother, but it had to happen because as you say, it was what was true and we had to do what was true. And I'm thankful that I'm so thankful to him because he was the first man that I wasn't just a masturbation tool for. He's mm-hmm. the first man that provided stability and safety for me to even blossom to this place where I could even do your program. But it was a bit of a whiplash when initially I was so excited about all of this and, and thought. That of course my partner would be too. And then the response was like, you know, I felt like, wait, you don't want me to help people heal their sexuality. You don't want to experience ecstasy with me through merging our sex with spirituality because you associate it with demonic entities. Like it was like, but I couldn't, I, I would have never guessed that that would be the response. So, and I'm still kind of confused by it all, but I also know that both truths, his and mine are equal and neither are less than, and we both had to choose our own truths. But I'd love to go into all of this with you, this idea that portals during sex may bring demonic entities and how that fear also cuts us off from our sexuality as a portal to God. And you said before, too, I've heard you say that God is in the lowest vibrations. And I think many people would hear that and be like, what? That doesn't make sense. Like, how can it be low vibration? And so I would love to, yeah, for you to just, you can pull on whatever thread you want. 
Sure. Um, all right. So the one of the most helpful things for me to understand um, in my own psychology and my own energy is in the Eastern traditions, scary or demonic beings are almost always protectors at the gates of temples. Mm. And I didn't understand what that meant. Like on some level, I was like, oh yeah, totally. Like if you're going to get a bunch of like beings together to protect your temple, what are you going to do? Pick the like cherubic angels? Like, no, you want to like growly, gritty, like, you know, low force, whatever demon, if you want to call it that to protect your temple. So that part kind of made sense to me intellectually. It wasn't until I really experienced that. Sorry, can you hear that? It's okay. <laughs> Protecting the temple. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You've done protectors. So um the in that I when I started to explore all of my demons, right? My inner demons, I and I haven't found an exception yet realized that they were always protecting something precious in me. Mm. So all of my self-hatred, all of my body hatred, all of my self-criticism, right? It's inherited and I adopted it to keep me small because I was taught as a woman that my bigness and my power and my ecstasy were totally unacceptable in society. So growing up in, you know, suburban America and, you know, being encouraged to be a cheerleader and dye my hair blonde and lose a bunch of weight and all of that, it was like this sex witch that I am not acceptable, right? How, how in the world can I cut my brilliant power down enough that I can fit into this society? I'll hate myself. I'll judge my body. I'll criticize the shit out of myself. I'll adopt perfectionism done. Right. And you can be like, well, those aren't real demons. Tell me something that has caused you more pain in your lifetime that has hurt you worse than your own self-hatred, self-criticism, perfectionism, and self-rejection. It's not a demon in the cemetery that could hold a candle to what your own mind can do to you. And we know it to be true, right? You could have a demon get in to your sex portal. It's not going to do shit compared to what your lifelong addiction to hurting yourself internally can do, right? Those are the real demons. And those demons are relentless. And you know what? You adopted them. I adopted them because I thought they would protect me because I thought they would help keep me small, right? My grandmother's poverty consciousness, right? I come from a line of real powerful boss bitches. They also had to keep themselves small, right? If they weren't obsessed, right, with some some problem to solve, what could they have learned about themselves? What could they have woken up to inside of their own pussies, their own hearts, their own beings, right? So we adopt even things like poverty consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And as a way to, you know, as long as you're distracted by whether there's enough food for your family, are you going to remember the fact that you are a bad boss witch, right? And so even things like that of, you know, when I wanted to make more money and I kept hitting up against this upper ceiling limit, it was like, oh, it's, you know, my grandparents grew up in poverty and I have a deeply embedded belief that 
holding on to that keeps me small in a way that allows me um, to stay safe, right? And this doesn't mean that there aren't systems of injustice in the world. There absolutely are. And we also adopt the mentality of these systems sometimes as a way to keep ourselves safe, like both things happen. And so when I really realized that, I was like, oh, what feel like demonic entities inside of me are actually things that I originally adopted to keep me safe. They are the protectors at the gates of the temple inside of my psychology of what is precious. Mm -hmm. And so when I reject and push away those thought forms and those protectors, they get more aggressive and more scary. And in the Taoist tradition, they teach that all demons are just rejected entities. They're rejected parts of our own psychology and our own energy. When we experience that, right, like really hold that and experience that, our relationship to ourself changes. And there's so much less to fear within us. We can meet our own shadows our own demons, our own entities in a different way. Now, that's really important to understand because then we can be with ourselves in a new way. Protector is at it again. It's like, stop calling me. <laughs> He's literally standing at the door to my room barking and growling. Thank you, baby. <laughs> So this shifts how we can relate to ourselves, right? Some. <laughs> when it comes to then, okay, are there entities that exist out there in the universe? Yes, but there's also laws of protection in the universe, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm safe physically in this world because I go spaces that are safe. I lock the door. If I know about places that are unsafe, I'm not going to go wander out and go hang out there, right? There's certain neighborhoods in the world that like, I'm not going to go to. And I know that, right? So it's the same thing energetically. Like, it's not like some demons just going to suddenly like come into your room all of a sudden, or like come into your sexual practice, right? If you have protection, if you have sovereignty, and if you don't necessarily play this game of fear and concern and worry, and at the end of the day, from the tantric perspective, all of those forms of consciousness, they have God at their core anyways, right? Like we're all here from the creator. And so when you understand that, it almost creates this kind of clarity inside of you. And when you don't play into that mind game, it's not really a problem. And it's hard to describe, but it's like when I drive my car, I'm not sitting there being like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Something horrible is about to happen. Oh my God. What if I get into an accident? What if I get into an accident? Right? Because the chance of me getting into an accident is a very, very low. And B, if I'm paying attention and driving carefully, I'm likely fine. Right? It's the same thing with entities, right? Like how often are people like a demonic entity came and took me over during my sex practice last night? Like it just doesn't really happen. So A, you don't have to think about it. And B, if you don't play that game and you have awareness and you're inside of yourself and you handle your stuff, you'll be absolutely, totally fine. And the final piece of all of that is if there's a, a real meeting of the darkness that needs to happen, a real meeting of the shadow on a spiritual level, you can meet those forces, find your sovereignty with them, and the fear does dissipate. And I have done that as part of my spiritual practice. So mm -hmm. this fear that like you're doing these practices and it's going to attract entities, I'd say is 
untrue. However, when you engage in any deep, true spiritual practice, you'll be consciously stirring up your own blockages and protectors, which can appear demonic sometimes. And when you love them back into integration, you'll see them as the protectors they've always been. Yeah. Ah, so good. Really? I mean, that's like such a much more expansive answer than I was expecting. (laughs) Thank you. So pivoting, (laughs) pivoting just the tad, you wrote an amazing newsletter called Two Guys, One Summer. (laughs) And it made me, I'm so curious. So I met this guy at work and, you know, nothing came of it, but I remember this feeling of like when, and I, I know we were both feeling it of like, holy shit, are we even on earth anymore? Because the, it was like the, the intense chemistry. And I had this urge to just stay on the other side of the room because I think it literally felt dangerous. I think that I have maybe associated intense chemistry with trauma bonds. So I'm curious, is all chemistry a trauma bond? Yo, Jay, that is such a good question. Because <laughs> chemistry is so good. <laughs> oh, sure is. So look, <laughs> I've actually asked this. This is an inquiry of mine. This is an inquiry of mine because. And I've asked some of the best experts in the field, some of the finest minds. I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't think anyone knows for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And. The reason that this is so interesting to me is because in my eight-year partnership, one of the things we had so much and we changed the world together. We built beautiful things together. We had aligned values. We had a good basic sexual chemistry, right? Like after eight years, we still wanted to make love to each other. We were still super orgasmic together, all of that. And there was a kind of energetic alchemy, interpersonal chemistry that for me felt missing, right? And no fault of my partner's absolute, amazing, magnificent king. It just was a bit missing for me. And one of the things that kind of knocked me out of that partnership was falling madly, crazily, deeply in love um, with someone. And we were transparent about it. And we told our partners and I told my partner at the time and all that. And I did we did the very responsible thing, which is I was like, I will not leave a partnership for someone else. I will not leave an eight year partnership because of I met someone that I have these strong feelings for. I'm going to acknowledge that I've met this person. I'm going to not see them or talk to them, turn completely towards my partnership and decide whether it's true for me to be here or not independent of anyone else. Right. And that's all you can ever do. Right. You don't run away with the shiny new thing, but you can be real honest with yourself about whether it's true for you to stay and what you have. Mm-hmm. And in that, right. I ended up leaving because that was true for me. And that was, that felt true. And it wasn't because of this other person. The other person made me think a lot. Right. And that chemistry, that was three months of like not eating, not sleeping. I was totally sober. It felt like I took ayahuasca, LSD, MDMA. It was just like, <gasps> right? Like, and I wouldn't have done anything to be with them. And we couldn't, it wasn't in alignment with his relationship uh, agreements. And, you know, and we weren't willing to violate that. So then in the aftermath, right, of still knowing each other, still being in each other's lives, it was so clear to me what an inappropriate partner he is for me, right? Like how much we would just not be right for each other in our lives and how much that chemistry 
um, would only have gotten us so far. And it's so important for people to realize that because I understand that that experience made me understand why people cheat. And I'm not trying to say that it's okay to cheat. I'm not trying to say that you should ever lie to your partner. Um, but, and, and I certainly didn't, right. We chose the path of transparency and we didn't go down that route, but I also had a partnership where I could be honest with my partner, where I could tell them everything. I was like, man, this, this force of attraction is one of the strongest things in the world. Like you're talking about, you almost like you have this like healthy, like, like fear of it. I'm like, Whoa. Right. It's like one of the strongest drugs in the universe. Mm -hmm. And so like to feel that and the fact that you could just feel that out of nowhere. And the fact that you can feel that with someone who isn't necessarily a great parent, it doesn't necessarily have integrity or values. You're just like, Whoa, but it makes you feel so alive you know? And so I just had so much compassion for people who go through infidelity because you can love your partner so much and some stranger comes along and some button gets pushed and you're just like, right. It's so wild. Mm -hmm. Then as you're saying, a lot of that energy can be trauma bonding, right? Like basically the thing you're most attracted to is the fact that that person is going to reenact the most painful parts of your childhood with you. And you have this hope that somehow it's all going to be resolved, like in, in some deep unconscious way. Right. And so the deeper the wounds, the more attractive they are. <laughs> so it's a great question. And I've really been asking it because a lot of the kind of leaders, I, you know, Annie Lala is a love coach of mine. I respect her a lot. Alison Armstrong, um, her work's incredible author of the queen's code, um, Harville Hendricks, um, the author of getting the love you want. They all are of the opinion that that kind of attraction and chemistry, exactly as you're saying, should almost be taken as like a red flag. And, but I've asked them, then I've grilled them. I'm like, but then how do you know what the real thing is? Because there's zero sparks. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it felt like a limp towel, you know? <laughs> it was a wet noodle that I hugged. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're like, oh yeah, that's the person, you know? Um, I think Harville Hendricks said it best. And this is a paraphrase of my friend who actually asked him directly. And she told me that he said this. So we'll take it all with a grain of salt, but she's pretty uh, infidelity to her experience and people's words and stuff like that. And it was basically like that. I just saw you and all the sparks started flying is almost always wound match and projection, right? Mm. Some people can translate that into a successful partnership. So it doesn't mean that it can't be translated into a successful partnership, but it does mean that there's a lot of forces of projection and unconscious desire at play. So mm -hmm. proceed with caution, right? And what most of us do is we throw ourselves headlong into it because it feels so good. And especially women, right? Like feels good. Oh my God, of course I'm going to do it. Right. And we like to believe that just because it feels good, it means it's the right person. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's no correlation between it feeling good and the person being the right person for you. And it's so important for us to realize that so that we can be like, this feels awesome. I'm going to give it a try. Who doesn't want to give it a try? If you can, of course, you're going to give it a try, but proceed with caution, right? Take yeah. it with a grain of salt, come in with a clear heart and mind. So one, you can translate that kind of bond into a real partnership, but they all say that the true partnership often is something that there's an attraction there to begin with but it grows and deepens over time. 
the more that you get to know each other. Whereas that, that sparky chemistry thing often fades over time. The true deep love is something that grows and grows and grows. And sometimes I think there are people with trauma bonding that can translate that with enough health, like healing and self-awareness into a true partnership. I think there's a lot of people that mistake trauma bonding for actual partnership and actual relationship and true partnership feels so much more real. And I I see that men mistake this too, you know, mistaking feels like it's going to just be amazing for the rest of my life and easy and supportive. Right. And yes, a relationship should have ease and it should feel supportive, but like true love is intense. True love Mm -hmm. is scary, you know, and, and and intense in a real deep, profound way, not intense in a sparks flying chemistry kind of way. And what I've been really pondering, right. As a sex, love and relationship expert (laughs) is how not only do I not have the answers, but I don't think anyone truly has the answers. I've asked all these people and I haven't gotten a satisfactory answer. And the thing that I realized, Jade, is we have more paths that are consciously created and taught by individuals who have been initiated into the wisdom to God. There are more paths to how you can be a spiritual being on this planet than there are paths to true love. Mm. We don't know what we're doing when it comes to partnership and true love. And there's a real humility in that. And there's couples who find their way there by grace and by commitment. But there's very few people who can tell you absolutely for sure what to look for, what's the difference between a trauma bond and true love. Mm. And so having some of that humility as we discover together as a culture, I think is really important. Yeah. And I think being single again, for me, I know that chemistry is typically what makes me not look at whether we're actually compatible. And so the thing for me as a single woman is like, okay, if that's there, it doesn't mean you have to like run away from it, but at least, at least don't make it blind to the fact that you're not compatible. Like look at the compatibility too, you know? Totally. Totally. It's so seductive. I had the best initiation into this because when I went to Burning Man this year, I had, I read that newsletter too. (laughs) I actually had like six men that were like kind of partnership sort of quality level, but there were three that were going to be at Burning Man, right? And I told them about each other. And I was like, you know, essentially I was like, I'm not going to sleep with any of you, but like, I'll date all of you. May the best man win. (laughs) Go. And in at Burning Man, right? In this week, I, two of them were unquestionably so good for me, right? Like our experiences were everything that I would say I wanted, honoring, deep, smart, spiritual, hilarious, reverential, real, real, right? Their nervous system and my nervous system able to dance in a very, you know, co-regulating, loving, mature way. And there was another one who like was so clearly pushing all my buttons of trauma bond, right? And Mm -hmm. the trauma bond, so addictive. Mm -hmm. Trauma bond was what I was thinking about, what I was fantasizing about, what I like, what, like, like, that's the one you want to prove the love from. 
Yeah. Yeah. If you let Animal Layla have her way, if there was no higher self Layla in there, Animal Layla, boom, straight into the trauma bond. I don't give a fuck about these other men who are treating me like kings. We're showing up in this like really loving way. Like I am magnetized to that which is not so good for me. But my God, it reminds me of childhood. And when I really identified, I was like, what is the what is the biggest trauma bond wound in me that I'm so magnetized to? If you make me sad, if you make me sad, uh, I love a man who makes me sad. <laughs> and you know, so true about your greatest wounds. You'll, you will, you will unconsciously perpetuate them even with people who don't want to, right? So one of the most humbling things, you know, me, I, whatever, I run a successful coaching school about sex, love and relationships and whatever you teach, what you have to learn and all that. I was like, no, 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 I'm in mastery. I've turned to Tantra for 20 years. Like I had a great, beautiful partnership, whatever, whatever. And I was sitting there being like, I will still make my experiences with the men turn into sadness because I would like to unconsciously perpetuate my own childhood wounding more than I would want actual love. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> on that one (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. oh see that's it's so yeah you're right there's really there's no answer but but I love your answer (laughs) I love what you tried to make of it um I want to check in with you on time because I have three more questions before the lightning round but I'm okay just choosing one do you have time for one sure Okay. So I wanted to discuss, so I had one around trauma integration being pleasurable. I had one around, um, you saying trauma sticks where you self-abandon. I just want to say that those were what they were because those two pieces were mind blowing for me, from you, Mm -hmm. that trauma integration could be pleasurable. I was like, well, the trauma was so hard. I was trying to make the healing hard too, you know, or else, or else it wasn't a healing. And then, um, trauma sticking where you self-abandon. I, I mean, one major thing that shifted in me through your program is that I don't self-abandon anymore. Or when I do, I catch it and choose my truth or myself. So I just wanted to mention those, that those were the questions, but the question I'll stick with for the last one is sex magic. So I was reading someone's post the other day about how sex magic originates from and reinforces trauma because it keeps women in the never ending loop of wanting, chasing, transacting, and trapped in the mind. And that manipulating the body, the nervous system, as if it's receiving $20,000 months to have $20,000 months is backwards and is a bartering system that opens our wounds for harvesting and that it's performative, linear exchange, all this stuff, right? It's a, it's a wounded little girl saying, gimme. And none of that feels like my sex magic. Like none of it feels like what I'm experiencing. (laughs) And I, so I'm just so curious to hear your thoughts because when I read it, there was only contraction and like, that's not what it feels like for me, but I also am not, I'm also open to hearing adverse opinions. I don't want to be in an echo chamber and um, maybe I'm coming up against something in myself. I'm not sure. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Totally. So one of the things that I've been teaching about, like, teaching in sex magic, especially more so in the last year or two, um, because that was something, not that particular kind of consideration of it, but I was really considering, yes, how can you be a co-creator and a manifester in the universe without perpetuating the kind of like capitalistic goal oriented obsession with having what you want. And especially with feeling like I won't be happy until, 
right? Mm -hmm. Or living life from, you know, I, life is about getting what I want. And especially for me, who a big part of my spiritual practice is surrender, right? A big part of my spiritual practice is feeling where the universe is going and where energy is going and feeling what's true and being in alignment with that rather than in disagreement with it and mental disagreement. So there is this, how can one practice surrender, right? And the deep art of true spiritual surrender, finding the rightness of the moment flowing with the truth of life and manifest, right? And be in desire. And when I surrender too much, almost is the word that I would use, I can lose a sense of personal agency and power, a sense of being here as a true co-creator, right? And some of this comes from separation. Like one of my friends said once, you know, he was like, what do you want from me, God? And God was like, you're me too. You what you want is what I want, right? And so we create all this separation, like somehow me wanting something is separate mm. from God wanting something. Mm. And that separation perpetuates this kind of like me versus the universe. I want something and the universe won't give it to me, right? That is inner child, right? And that's for us to work out existentially that sense that we're like battling with the universe or trying to get something from reality versus actively co-creating. So what I eventually came to was when you do sex magic and when you do manifestation to hold that we live in a universe of mystery. And one of the things that's so beautiful about this universe is a, you are guaranteed nothing. You are not entitled to anything in this universe. And look what you got, right? And sometimes in our culture, we can get obsessed with more, more, more and not spend enough time in the wow, right? In the awe of what we have. And to me, one of the great secrets of manifestation is that really great manifestation starts from an anchor point of acceptance and love for what is. Right, right, right now, this moment is absolute perfection. And we live in a universe of desire, right? We desire as beings and we can use desire as an egoic trap by setting up a bunch of goals for ourselves where we're like future oriented and then trying to like come into our goals, which can end up making us feel depleted and like we're not here in this moment or we can use desire as a liberatory force. So here's what's so cool. What you want, your true heart's desire, not just your egoic desires of like, oh, if I have this, I'll finally be happy. But like, I want this because it's true, right? I want it because it's true. I want to create a piece of art or a new program or a piece of music or write a book because it's true. Because if I didn't make it happen, it would feel like I wasn't expressed as a being, right? That's very different than I need to write a book. So it'll get on the New York Times and I'll make a bunch of money, right? Which is still fine. Like there's not even any judgment in that, but there is a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. I want sacred union, not because I think it's going to make everything better, but it just feels true. That's how my being wants to express in this world, right? Because I'm in a universe that doesn't guarantee that I will get what I want. It takes courage to stand for my heart's desire and then 
to love and be present in the universe, no matter what happens. So we can, as spiritual beings, just be like, okay, I'm just going to surrender and desire is bad and it's an illusion and it's just my inner child and it's whatever the path towards like hollow, empty life or whatever. And I would say that's not the full picture, right? And that the integration of the humility and awe of living in an infinite universe combined with the willingness to stand for your heart's desire and know that you might not get it is a universal invitation to being a warrioress, to being a warrior, because you're willing to stand for what you want. You're willing to build and create. You're willing to show up for the moment in a powerful way, in alignment for what you desire, which is what God desires too. Where do you think those desires come from? Think you made them up? God has nothing to do with them, right? So when you manifest from that way, from that space, there's actually a using of desire and a using of manifestation to liberate, to know your own power, to be in surrender to the magnificence of the universe. And eventually, as you learn in Vita coaching, to clear the way from karmic obstructions and conditioning that keep you from having what you want. But where I would say personally that this author, you know, has a point um, from my perspective, right? Like their point is totally valid from their perspective. But from my perspective is that we can get wrapped up in manifestation and desire as only an egoic tool that takes us out of the truth of the moment and out of our power, or we can use manifestation as a way to become more empowered and more connected to the magic and flow of the universe. Mm, yeah, really beautiful. Thank you. And you get a bunch of orgasms along the way. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and what you're saying, like the truth is the practice. You can feel it, right? Like my yeah. doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. It feels, feels like pure witchcraft and feels like true magic. And it feels like connecting with eroticism and beauty and being a co-creator with the universe. Something so gorgeous about that. Something and it so- feels yeah, like my nervous system is learning to be safe. My nervous system feels deserving of pleasure now. Like there's just so much beauty to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for teaching it all. <laughs> so there's a few short questions I ask everyone who comes on the show. The first one is if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Mm, every part of you is beautiful. Every part of you is loved. Mm. And go all the way, always. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? Mm. If I could have the whole world read one book. Mm. Jitterbug perfume. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard of it, but I'll get it. <laughs> it, uh, it, it initiated me into, into, uh, into Pan, the beautiful ecstatic rites of Pan. Mm, thank you. Okay. Uh, the last one is if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Mm. You are made of infinite beauty. (laughs) Mm. I could feel that in your body as you said it. (laughs) 
And before we let you go, where can people find you online? Where can they access you on YouTube? All the goodies. Well, I believe you're going to share with them about mm-hmm. our coaching certification. Yeah. So you'll be emailing them and letting them know. There'll probably be links underneath the episode. Mm-hmm. And then you can always head to my website, leelamartin.com. We have all kinds of cool practices. We have sex magic practice that you can download if you're curious. <laughs> if, all, if all the controversy has stirred your desire and curiosity <laughs> to dive into this questionable practice. And, uh, um, and then also uh, Instagram and YouTube. Amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) All right, you guys, I'm so thankful to have shared my teacher with y'all today. I I can feel that she's going to be my teacher for quite some time. And uh, I just, I want to gobble up all of her teachings and, and all of her, all of her little wisdom sharings. I highly suggest that you subscribe to her newsletter because it is it's juicy. And it's, I mean, the two guys, one summer is one of my favorite ones. She also is just so vulnerable in her newsletters and, and they're just, oh, they're beautiful. So I encourage you to sign up for that. And then also, you know, I talked about the Vita program with her and in the intro of the show quite a bit. If you are looking to sign up for her program, it is, I mean, I don't even know what word to use to describe it, but it is the most transformative experience. And not only will you gain the tools to hold your nervous system in love and safety, but you'll gain the tools to, to guide other people to do the same. It is incredible. You will be a licensed love, sex, and relationship coach if you choose to um, complete all of the graduation requirements. But even if you just sign up for the experience itself, it is the most life-altering, most transformative experience. Uh, the link is really, really long. So instead of saying it, speaking it now, uh, it's in the show notes. If you're looking at the podcast page right now, you're looking at like the little image for this episode. All you have to do is scroll up and there'll be show notes and you'll see some links where it says affiliates. That'll be um, there. And I do, I do really, really, uh, request that you use that link because I will get a small cut and as a single mother, it would be so helpful and I would be so thankful. So yeah, so use that link. That link will also just take you to her website. If you want to check out everything else she has, she has JDA courses. She has couples courses. She has men's sexuality courses. I mean, she has, she has it all. You can also find her newsletter there, her YouTube there, all of it. And then the best voice, we, you know, we talked about, um, sex magic a lot. (laughs) So I'll bring up some tools that you can use for that or some toys for that. So one, as you heard earlier in the show is dameproducts.com code Jade gets you 15% off. That is a, um, that's more of like all external toys. Mostly I like to pair it with my internal toys. I only insert, um, like glass and crystal inside my body. So I get all of that from wands, W-A-A-N-D-S.com, code Jade for a discount there as well. My um, most used tool is my cervical wand, but I also love the wider uh, wand, the C wand, I think it's called. And then I also love my Jade egg. I also have an anal plug from them. So there's just, there's so much there. You can get a discount using code Jade and uh, that's at dameproducts.com and at wands, W-A-A-N-D-S.com. And then all things infrared at higher dose code Jade75 for $75 off. I've been using it 
every day this week, y'all, that grounding mat really, I mean, it really does make a difference in my mood. It really elevates it. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much if you would leave a review or share an episode with a friend. If someone crossed your mind while you were listening to this episode, it's very likely that they're meant to hear it. So go ahead and send it their way. I know it was a very controversial episode, but there's so much truth in it. You can also join me on Instagram at untamed and unashamed podcast. As always, be a light, stay open and remember you belong here. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.